Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. So here's the weather. Radio Le Mans weather. With travel destinations and uh, ple- very pleasant but clear evening here at the Circuit de la Sarte uh, as uh, our temperature should drop down no lower than about 20 Celsius this evening but very little cloud the temperature will drop away on the track currently 22.4 in the air 24.4 on the track we've achieved symmetry that's your weather on Haggerty Radio Le Mans with travel destinations book now for Le Mans 2021 and classic also in 2021 go to www.lemansrace.com Live coverage of the world's greatest motor race, the Le Mans 24 Hours on RS1. This is Radio Le Mans with Haggerty Insurance. Cars are made to be driven, and we can't imagine a future without driving the cars we love. Learn more and get a quote at Haggerty.com. Just gone 10 o'clock at Circuit de la Sarte and we are halfway through night practice on a Thursday evening ahead of more action tomorrow, more track time and crucially 30 minutes of Ipapol to decide the top six in each of the four categories. Uh, so far though, Rebellion setting a, a pretty decent speed and pace as far as night practice is concerned. They are ahead of the uh, at least... Yeah, both of the Toyotas currently, and uh, both Rebellions showing they do have speed when it comes to race pace, which could be crucial uh, as we get to the the meat of the event Saturday night into Sunday. Uh, Johnny Palmer and Bruce Jones joining you then for this portion of our coverage on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Thanks to John Hindoff, uh, Nick Damon and to Shea Adam for the first couple of hours. Uh, I tell you, this place loses none of its... Atmosphere. I know we've no crowd, Bruce Jones, but when night falls, you just feel like you're at one of the key sports events of the whole of the year. I enjoy it immeasurably once it turns dark at the mall. Of course, it's, we've got more darkness than we would in June. Days much, much longer uh, when it comes to high summer. But uh, again, that just adds more to this. And of course, the temperature drop-off is uh, it's already started. John just mentioned as we changed over there, we nearly got symmetry between track and air temperature at the moment. By the end of this session, we definitely will have got there. But uh, yes, and to be treated to sights of cars going down the straight at Le Mans with the lights blazing away, it, it's just like another racetrack at night. And of course, uh, the transition quite long in summer, much shorter between light and dark when it comes to, well, we have to call it awesome now at this point in the year. And um, I, I just think the magic of Le Mans really is, is doubled when it comes to uh, this time of the year and uh, for the drivers of course it gives them I suppose more chance to get those nighttime laps in because they got more laps uh, when it comes uh, you know after proper darkness when they can be uh, called that very thing but yes it's looking fabulous at the moment and drivers doing actually you mentioned just as we came on that rebellion top of the charts they've gone faster than they did in the first part of qualifying but then 
we have the top six cars in each of the classes going through to Iper Pole tomorrow. And already, of course, all the five cars that are turning out in LMP1 knew they were already through. So they weren't pushing too hard in that first qualifying session, quite unlike uh, all of the others in the other three classes who were really going at it hammer and tongs, most notably in LMP2. But uh, right now, yeah, bragging rights to uh, Louis Delatraz at the top of the charts. Yes, and he is uh, taking part in his first Le Mans. Um, very impressive in single-seaters in his fledgling career to date and looking forward to seeing how he goes in a car that uh, will take some getting used to, but it tends to be that uh, these young hot shoes straight out of single-seaters don't take too much time to adjust to a two-seater, which obviously adopts a similar downforce mechanism. So Louis Delatrasse, the son of Jean-Denis, uh, joining the rebellion ranks as more and more cars sweep through the Dunlop curve and head up towards the Dunlop bridge itself and head underneath uh, that uh, instantly iconic structure. Interestingly, we don't have any Dunlop shod cars, though, this year, so uh, that's slightly less relevant, although there's obviously a... You know, you can track the progress from Dunlop into what is now a Goodyear tyre. Very different compounds now, but uh, an awful lot of the personnel that have uh, stayed on board to look after Goodyear being welcomed back into an ACO championship. They have a number of cars to look after in an ELMS weekend, not least their uh, part in LMP2, but they're also the only tyre manufacturer in GT. E in an ELMS category and that's something we shouldn't forget is that the cars and drivers that are used to Goodyear rubber in an ELMS weekend having to switch to Michelin to be part of the 24 hours of Le Mans so some uh, more adjustment and the tyre characteristics that have to be taken on board 92 Porsche heading now along the short run from Arnage towards where the road gets very twisty but is also incredibly fast into Porsche curves over the road bridge, no, even not even a hint of where that is as far as uh, when you're ra when you're actually racing. But uh, there is an access road there that you can head underneath the circuit, and then out of uh, that portion, past Marshall Post 33, is where an awful lot of cars were dinged for track limits. Let's hear from Michael Christensen in the 92 Porsche. Bit of a little bit of understeer at low speed, but high speed is good. And the 92 car sweeps across the line to, uh, to complete another lap. So it is Rebellion that are currently fastest with Louis Delatres at the wheel. And the Rebellion has set a 319.158. That is almost half a second quicker than the Kamui Kobayashi Toyota Rebellion that uh, were earlier first and second, slipped to first and third now with Bruno Senna at the wheel of the number one. And Kamui Kobayashi is in the number eight, currently fourth fastest. It's Duquesne team with their Orica 07 fastest in LMP2. Jonathan Hershey last to pilot that, but that car is currently in the pit lane. Philippe Albuquerque in the 22 United Autosports car is doing laps. And actually, last time around, set the best time of the session. Two and a bit hours into it. 3.29.341. Uh, G-Drive's Jean-Éric Verne is third in LMP2. And that is the 
uh, card that's um, currently the best of the play, best place of the Aris is. Uh, the other Aris a little bit further down the order, by the way. And that card that performed well in qualifying hasn't necessarily done the same amount of mileage that uh, the other Iris has. Frederick Makaviki, third position in GT Pro. Currently behind the 92 Porsche and the 51 Ferrari with 82 Ritzi Competizioni Ferrari fourth. But Fred Makaviki's 4.2 litre flat six. You can hear just right behind the driver position these days after the engine and gearbox combination were pitched through 180 degrees. Actually, for the previous design of Porsche, which is now very much up and down the GTE AM category, uh, but we're into the next phase of Porsche for the works crews. And this car has been active since Silverstone last year, actually introduced into the United States at the start of 2020 for the Daytona 24 hours, but it already had, what, five hours of action in the WEC from Silverstone last September. 275, 280, creeping up to almost 290 kilometres per hour before then Fred smacks that middle pedal and arrests the speed on the Porsche to head through the second chicane, which is the left-right-left where Paul Lafargue came to grief in the earlier session. And that is the reason why neither of the EDEX sport cars are taking part in night practice. So frantic work going on for the 17 and the 28 to make sure that they can be fixed in time for tomorrow's free practice four. Moments or two ago... A little bit close for the 22 United Auto Sports car. Caught between a rock and a hard place, really, with the 83 Ferrari, I reckon that was, on the right-hand side. Another Ferrari to its left as well. It's a wide straight, this Mulsanne part, but when you've all of a sudden got two GT cars that have to be overtaken by an LMP2 car, it spaces it a real premium, Bruce Jones. Well, you're relying on the two on the outside, moving towards the outside, and if you're going to thread the eye of the needle, there has to be enough space for the needle to go through, and there certainly wasn't there. So a little bit of discretion, but again, a lot of these drivers getting used to the, the lights and how, mu how, much, how fast the car behind is closing. Uh, in this full darkness and don't forget just worth reiterating there's going to be more full darkness in this race than there is when it's held in June so they've got to get used to it but uh, hanging back a little bit there for the United All Sports Orica was uh, very much the thing to do but uh, again you just don't want to throw it into the scenery it's worth mentioning we started today with 59 runners and at the moment we've only had just over half of that number setting uh, a flying lap in this session it's uh, sort of plenty of track running four hours in all but we're more than halfway through one hour 50 minutes remaining and still we have only 32 of those runners having a set of time we don't expect times from the edex sport duo because they both had damage earlier today and they're going to work through until as late as uh, they need to get that fixed but they were never going to come out for qualifying and uh, never going to come out in this practice session but still plenty of others uh, keeping themselves um, keeping their powder dry at the moment and just uh, deciding They'll get their drivers uh, qualified in night time and they'll do that slightly later on. You're tuned to RS1 on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. That's Bruce Jones. I'm Johnny Palmer. And looking after the VP Racing Fuels pit lane reports for this segment of the day, it's Joe Bradley. Evening, gentlemen. Hello. It's all getting very exciting, isn't it? I love night practice. There's something about it. It just epitomises Le Mans, the whole Le Mans week for me. 
Same for us as well, Joe. We were just saying how it sort of doubles the enjoyment. It just makes it feel so much more special, doesn't it? Particularly in the pits. Absolutely. There's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about extra extra nighttime running. And I'm thinking, yeah, what's the problem with that? It's it's such a challenge because... Uh, all your daytime reference points, you know, your breaking point, I'll break at the 150-metre board, etc., or a tree, or the green horse, like we heard uh, Ollie Gavin mention this morning. It, it, all, it all goes out the window. And even more so when we get the light change, whether it's the sun going down or the sun coming up, all those reference points changes, the shadows evolve, and the track just... It, the track evolves, and it just it's a, it's a complete and utter change of challenge for these drivers. Fabulous. Um... Just wanted to tell you, Nick de Vries has now gotten into the number 29 uh, racing team Netherlands car. He's taken over from Fried van Eert, and we should see that car get up the timing screens tonight with what we've uh, been kind of used to, a more representative uh, lap time coming from that car with the hot shot now getting in. And uh, just a little thought on the Bicolis car that had a very odd accident. We heard John Eindhoff uh, describing... Uh, how, if any way, we could fathom out what happened to that car. There was a lot of attention going on to the rear of that car, around the back end of the car, and I'm wondering if that was a gearbox issue. This is pure speculation on my part, and it's, um, I suppose that's what we do, though, isn't it, boys? Um, I'm speculating as to whether you know some information may come through from that team, um, and because of the amount of crew that were on that rear end of that car, I'm wondering if it was a gearbox issue that maybe put uh, Bruno Spengler into the, uh, into the barrier. Oh, we'll get Joe's thoughts on that in just a second because, yeah, the 36 car is heading through the Paul Chicane with Thomas Laurent once again at the wheel. Thomas had a, quite a big moment um, earlier on in the qualifying session when he was pushing to break into the top six at the Ford Chicane, funnily enough, and carried too much speed into the first bit, ended up skating over the kerbs and also through the gravel as well. An indication of quite how hard the Frenchman was pushing in order to get into the tops. Did, top six didn't make it in the end and I'm sure John uh, reminded you as to who exactly did get into the top six earlier on we can do that a little bit later on in the show as well towards the end maybe to remind you who got into Hyperpole and those that will have to work their way through traffic at half past two on Saturday afternoon the number 30 car is currently fastest then in LMP2. That is the Duquesne team entry. Duquesne Engineering, as it was last year for Gilles Duquesne. He's the guy and the organisation that have obtained Norma over the winter period. So those fans of ELMS will have noticed that the Norma M30s are known as Duquesne M30s these days. Uh, no chance to run LMP3s in the 24 hours of Le Mans, at least for the time being. I notice there will be an LMP3 class, though, in the IMSA Championship from next year, which is very interesting to see the acceleration of that category uh, ever since it sort of came into being in what, 2015 when there were Ginettas on the grid and it's now morphed into Ligiers and uh, the Duquesnes as well. So we'll hear a little bit more from Joe Bradley in a moment or two with the next VP Racing Fuels pit lane report. But I'm also delighted to say that fourth voice for the second chunk of uh, night practice for Thursday is Paul Truswell. Hello, Johnny. Good evening, yes. Paul. I just wanted to make um, sure you were there, nice first of all. Uh, although I'm not quite sure we've got uh, the sound exactly where we need it to be. Um, 
maybe I, uh, uh, I'm not getting back in my own headset what you're hearing um, through your headset. So, uh, no, very I, good I, I, for I, end, Paul. a nice rest of the afternoon, but I'll let you carry on for the minute. All right. Well, we were getting you. That's uh, half the job done. Just wasn't convinced that you were hearing us, but we'll, we'll sort that very quickly indeed as we can head back to Joe Bradley. What else have you got then for a VP Racing Fuels pit lane report, Joe? Uh, just looking at the timing screens, the number one rebellion heading the timing screens at the moment with uh, Louis Delatraz, uh, fresh out of Formula 2. It's his first Le Mans, or should I say it's his first real Le Mans? Because uh, <laughs> let's not forget that uh, Louis was the winner of the virtual Le Mans earlier in the year when, uh, when everyone was playing virtual motor racing, weren't we? We were all competing. And uh, so I'm sure that was a great training. And uh, not sure if he's responsible for the fastest time for the number one rebellion right now tonight. But uh, he's circulating in that car, getting some real-life dark racing and dark running experience. Yeah, and you know, simulators can go so far, as we all know, but I think this is going to make it very, very real for those that... Lacking uh, in G-Force, Johnny, is the main thing, I would imagine. Just slightly, yes. <laughs> just and the resolution, slightly, yes. the resolution is second to none when you're doing it for real as well. And, uh, and there's no time between the first and second chicanes to sort of lean across to the left and just have a <laughs> sip of coffee. I don't know. There are two-seaters at the end of the <laughs> day. There's always room for a bit of sacred coffee along the way. The 3.19.158 stays as the best time for the Rebellion then, number three, but only half a second behind the Toyotas. Question mark as to how hard, how hard they are pushing during night practice and whether they are now back into uh, full race mode. It's kind of back and forth, isn't it? Because whereas I think in the traditional format, do you not have qualifying in one long chunk? And then also night practice is qualifying? Yeah, so there isn't ever the point where you go back to free practice in the previous guys through the years. Um, so, that, yeah, I mean, it's semantics to a degree, but 45 minutes of proper qualifying, 30 minutes of qualifying tomorrow as well, and then this uh, awkward bit of free practice, two lots of free practice in between, Bruce. You know, it's a different mix. It's a, it's a different mindset you need to take for it but it's track time and at the moment in a season like this season they're just desperate to get out there and uh, get as much time on the circuit as they can there is the question mark about weather I don't know what you've heard most recently about uh, the weather coming to us between Saturday and Sunday in those 24 hours but uh, there has been talk of rain so again that's uh, something they can't really plan for too much because the conditions absolutely spot on perfectly dry and warm at the moment air temperature continues to drop 22 degrees track temperature likewise continues to fall to 24 so that's changing but they've got to use their experience and, and plan ahead and try and work out exactly how things might feel when the circuit gets wet if indeed it does again the, the rain has been mentioned but not sort of nailed down so um Johnny looking very quickly at weather forecasts well, I, for the weekend ahead. And what have you come up with? I know it was due to rain overnight Friday into Saturday uh, from about 2 a.m. Saturday morning. And the showers will continue till 7, 8-ish. But then the race start, uh, well, it was clear. That's changed now. And there are some isolated thunderstorms, actually, scattered thunderstorms around about race start time, which is 2.30 local. And the chance, therefore, of one or two weather systems working their way through this part of France, Circuit de la Sarte. So it's difficult. I, I think it's one of those forecasts that 
is almost changing hour on hour. And I mean, you know, the, the best will in the world, you cannot really predict when a thunderstorm's going to arrive. It's just that the, there's always the small chance of it. And you and I, our last trip to Paul Ricard was a little bit like that for the previous round of the ELMS. Uh, that was a Saturday night race, what, starting at 6.30pm through till half past ten. And we knew there was going to be rain, but when the bulk of it was going to arrive was a big question mark. It was. And again, how much rain were you going to get? And we certainly got more than plenty. Made for some fantastic shots. One thing that's not making for such fantastic shots right now is happening in the uh, CLM garage. Sparks from under the car, but don't worry, it's just someone uh, <laughs> fixing the front end there. So I haven't really got to the foot of what went wrong when Bruno Spengler was driving, but um, far from fixed. Colin Collins coming not to held, uh, lend a helping hand, but merely to just take a look under the front and see how the mechanics are getting on. But again, track time is so important ahead of the race and we know the CLM could be quick but what we want to know is whether it can be consistent and right now it cannot prove that to us because it's sitting in the pit garage still a very strange incident out on the circuit for Bruno Spengler didn't seem to sort of apply sort of fit in with the laws of physics well a bit like um, Paul Lafargue's accident at the second chicane uh, yeah. earlier today you look at where the car ended up and think how I know, yeah, and uh, yeah, he's not been alone in that respect. Uh, we haven't had the tricky conditions so far. It's been a beautiful day, Circuit d'Alessart, and uh, actually very clear evening as well. Temperature's still pretty consistent, so the track surface offering grip, but not too much, so the tyres will like that, and the temperature is what, the low 20s now as uh, the heat of the day starts to tail off, and it'll get into the late teens overnight, but no threat of rain Thursday night into Friday. You're tuned to Haggerty Radio Le Mans. This is RS1. It's Bruce Jones, Johnny Palmer and Joe Bradley. And this is Paul Truswell from the Woking Data Centre. Yes, I was just wondering, Johnny, to what extent you've been through to uh, check which teams and drivers have uh, done their uh, requisite number of night laps and whether there are any surprising ones still to come. Having kind of posed the question I then started looking at the answers myself um, thought to myself Brendan Hartley's not done any laps yet um, but he's just now on his first flying lap uh, this in the number eight Toyota so uh, Brendan is on his way um, but he is uh, one of quite a few I suspect and we'll try and make a list of uh, outstanding ones so we'll be able to tick them off um, the other thing is of course the session has been reasonably clear we had a brief uh, red flag, which I did catch um, whilst I was munching away at my dinner um, due to that uh, uh, Collis problem with the ENSO. Um, but the red flag period from the data I've got here, only, what, 20 minutes, wasn't it? So a uh, relatively short red flag period. So of the four-hour night uh, practice session, which is the only chance they get to um, drive the cars uh, or to do their night qualifying, um, we've only lost uh, a very short period of it, 20 minutes to uh, a red flag and then a short period as well uh, when we had a full course yellow um, and that was very short indeed, that was just four minutes of uh, full course yellow so that was over almost before it started. Uh, just to remind me more than anybody else, but I'm sure other people will be grateful of it as well, I realise that people are joining us on Haggerty Radio Le Mans all the time. Night laps, separate from when we were talking about rookie laps earlier on in the day and the fact that those drivers that have never been to Le Mans before or it's been longer than five years since they came to this event, they have to do a set number of laps 
I think it's 10, 5 yeah. that are time lapse from start, from start line to finish line, effectively. The other five can be in and out laps. But everybody, is that right, has to do the night laps. Uh, that's right. Um, or you have to take a letter to um, the stewards and explain why it wasn't possible for you to do it. Um, and then the stewards will consider your case. And obviously, uh, the more experienced you are, if you've driven at night before, if you've driven at Le Mans before, then that will stand you in good stead. If you're uh, a bit of a rookie, then um, the stewards may take a little bit more convincing that uh, if you've not done your night laps, then um, they can... Rem, uh, remove the opportunity for you to race at all uh, or they can just say well that's fine we'll let you race but you won't be able to race during the nighttime hours um, so th- there are various things you could do but the easiest way is to do your night laps because um, then you don't have to take a letter to uh, uh, the race stewards and explain yourself um, and that is um, five laps uh, one of which must uh, go across the start finish line so you can go in and out four times but at least one of your laps must go across the start finish line Uh, and as I say yeah that's for everybody no matter who you are and uh, so as I say we'll go through uh, and make a little list Brendan Hartley was on my original list but uh, isn't anymore Um, and as far as the P1 class course is concerned we're losing we're um, got a big gap in that because of the uh, number four Enso which uh, Bruno Spengler was the driver uh, of the car when it stopped, um, when it had that accident, um, but neither Gustavo Menezes nor Norman Nato uh, have driven number four at all in this nighttime session. Although, to be fair, I should just say at the beginning of the nighttime session, although it was uh, eight o'clock at night, it wasn't really dark at all, but it does count uh, as being so. All of this session counts as a nighttime session, uh, even though it wasn't really dark at the start. I wanted to be more, including Tim Gray, our executive producer, making the point that uh, because of the time of year that this is ra- this race is being held, there are more nighttime hours and therefore more significant if one of your drivers can't drive at night because you're looking at, well, 8 o'clock sunset, roughly speaking, on Saturday night and about a 7.45 sunrise. So It's as good, a good near as you can get it to 12, 12 hours, hours yeah, it? precisely. Uh, w- whereas normally there's only about nine and a half hours of... Uh, nighttime running when it's a June Le Mans. Yeah, so that is worth uh, bearing in mind as well from the team's perspective. Um, Harry Tinknell with a slight error into 4GK in a moment or two ago, the 97 Aston Martin straight lining the first bit and kicking up the dust. It meant that a Ferrari had to not exactly take avoiding action but stick to its natural racing line to ensure there wasn't any contact. There wasn't, thankfully, and the 97 Aston Martin carries on. But those Astons Maybe again concentrating on race speed or, or simulating a, a race stint because they are currently 7th and 8th with a 353.8 and a 354.5 respectively. 7th and 8th out of 8 cars in GTE mm. Pro Class and they were 1st and 2nd when it came to, well, the first qualifying. Obviously they both therefore were in the top 6 in class they will go through but with the bragging rights but counts for nothing by the time we get to the half hour session tomorrow morning the heaper pole which i think is going to be absolutely electric and the moment that uh, the aston martin got it sort of slightly offline at the four chicane there was a prototype coming through and both the jmw motorsport ferrari and the aston martin got quite close together and i think it was very sensible evasive action as a prototype but i couldn't tell you which one unfortunately uh, got in close behind them rather than come across and possibly compromise everybody uh, the Aston Martin just went straight on. Knew where the gravel was, or, or the more to point, the runoff that it could use at that Ford chicane. So I think that was uh, sensible all around. As Jose Maria Lopez now threads his way through the Ford chicane, 
And again, that sausage curve through the final bit of the Ford chicane. It's, it's a double chicane, and you go a left, a right, a little straight, and then a left, a right again. Uh, but got to be so careful to, to not take too much curb on the inside through that final right-hand bit because there is a very high sausage curb ready to catch you out and could do severe damage if you straddled that to the underframe of the car as the second fastest car in LMP1 then. Now heads through the S's and on towards Tete Rouge with the sister machine with Brendan Hartley at the wheel down in fourth spot there in the late 319s and mid 320s so that's there or thereabouts what five seconds off pole position time from last year so again this is his respectable speed paul trustwell yes you tell me about the signatech alpine car number 36 um i did notice that it wasn't uh, didn't take any part at all in the um, first hour uh, of this session. Uh, since then, it went out. Um, Andre Negrau got four laps done, but then the red flag came out. Um, what was the problem which meant that it was in the pit for so long at, um, at the beginning of the session? Maybe Joe Bradley's the man to tell us. He could be, and if not, then I've got I've got a backup plan. <laughs> but I did know <laughs> I do know it was in the pits for a long time. You're right now. Uh, typically, the, re the exact reason escapes me, but that car's not been right all day for me. I thought it was going to be one of the ones in and around the top six, and Tom Alleron had a real job uh, to get it what, into the top ten, I think. Uh, so, yeah, and they've not really had the form in the World Endurance Championship this season either. Senior Tech are normally a car that you can really, you know, bank on being there for good results, but they just haven't been. They're not in form. And just, just watching Tom Alaron, we know he's a very, very quick driver, but he was really having to throw it around. It just doesn't seem to be able to do what he wants it to do. So um, I think they've got an awful lot of work to do. And don't forget, of course, we've got a compressed timetable. They get as much time on the track as they would in a, a regular Le Mans 24 hours, but uh, you've got less time in between to sort things out. And uh, right now, a fair deal of head-scratching down at Senior Tech. No blame can be laid at the door of the drivers. They, they know what they're up to, but uh, clearly something not right with them just yet. One thing that uh, sort of uh, stands out to me, the position of the cars in the groups. I was just taking a look down at GTE AM. Dempsey Proton racing there. Porsches certainly weren't at the front when it came to the first part of qualifying, the 45-minute session we had early this evening, but they're first and second with uh, Adrian Delina in the 88 car, top of the pile ahead of Ricardo Perra. But another car that didn't make it into the top six to go through to Hyperpole, Car 83, just had um, thumbs up from Francois Perodo, but uh, their hotshot, the young Dane, Nicholas uh, Nielsen, third quickest in class. So that's what he can do versus what the car has been able to do in the first quick part of qualifying. But uh, we were quite surprised, Johnny, weren't we, that um, we thought that a lot of the crews would just put one driver in for that 45 minutes stint. Then suddenly we saw the Toyotas coming in and very quickly changing to their second driver, and they rattled through their whole rotation. But then again, they know, because they're in LMP1, they're definitely through to the heap of poles, so they were taking qualifying in a sort of very different manner from the others, particularly in the LMP2 class, who were just gunning to make sure they could get into the top six. And I think at one stage we had the top dozen cars covered by a second in LMP2. Not surprising, but just one little twitch. And maybe that's why Senior Tech aren't that far from the pace, but far enough to be just outside that top six. In fact, uh, some distance outside it. Uh, Joe, uh, I want to chat about the 17, actually, at some stage, and you may have a bit more information about that. The e one of the two EDEX sport cars that are in a pretty bad way. It's been a far from ideal day for the French squad, but 
my question was the fact that it's all three are rookie drivers. Jonathan Kennard, I think it's exactly 10 years since he last took part at Le Mans, 2010. That's the only time he's ever done it before. And then you've got Kyle Tilley and uh, Dwight Merriman, who've never been to Le Mans, but they've clearly spent an awful lot of time and cold, hard cash to be here. It would be a travesty if they couldn't take the start. So what do you know about 17? Uh, I can tell you that a decision has already been made that they will start from the pit lane, which will be when everyone else um, has completed a lap, which is slightly different than the start starting from the pit lane as we would normally have it. Usually we've seen cars start from the pit lane and when the field have cleared the pit exit, then they've been allowed to go. However, this is a little bit different um, from what I can gather they're going to be starting with the pit lane after everyone has completed a lap. So um, that's going to put them, obviously, a lap down on the whole field uh, straight away. And maybe that's a way of kind of penalising the team uh, for not having their drivers uh, do their requisite number of laps and qualify their, their drivers. Maybe that's the, the decision process behind that. That's actually a pretty standard ACO rule these days, is that if a car has to start from the pit lane... Um, I think the idea is they, they don't want to launch a car from the pit lane potentially into the scene of an accident at the first corner. So they allow the field to spread out across the course of a lap. And then you start on the back of the field once they've all completed a lap. So, yeah, you start from the pit lane. That's kind of damage piece number one. And it's a double whammy because you also start the race a full lap down. Is that how you understand the rules, Paul? Absolutely. And um, I mean, as uh, as Joe says, it is part of the penalty. Um, the way the rules are structured is if you don't qualify for your grid position properly, you have to go to the uh, race director, to the race stewards who will make a decision. Uh, the race stewards then have um, a number of options. Um, basically, those are two options. One start on the grid uh, and the other is start from the pit lane. Uh, however, there's no real difference between starting from the back of the grid and starting from the pit lane. So in order to give them a means of penalising a car that didn't do qualifying properly, um, and in a sense, that is exactly the uh, point for the uh, Edex Sport cars, um, they start, as I say, if they start from the pit lane, and as you've just said, Johnny, then they start, in effect, at the end of the first racing lap, uh, which puts them uh, straight away one lap down. Um, the only other option that the race director has is to he can place, if he chooses to put the car on the grid, uh, then he can put it either at the back of its class or at the back of the grid altogether. So, for example, a prototype need not be starting right at the back. The prototype could start uh, at the back of the prototypes, um, but clearly with the edX cars um, that that's not the case what i find interesting is that joe has said that both edX cars have been allowed to start from the pit lane um, and what i find a little surprising there is that the drivers of the number 17 car clearly haven't done sufficient to even qualify to take part in the race so i would be slightly surprised to even see them starting from the pit lane Joe, you must have a chance to reply on that. Go ahead. Uh, Paul, only the 17 has been mentioned, still no mention of the other EDEC car. Well, so the 17 that, that we've got the, the issue. 17. The 17 is the, the, that is the car with the rookies in, so uh, that's the one that it seems a little strange that they will be allowed to start. 28 yeah. fine, because that's Lafargue and Bradley and Memo Rojas, I think. Yes, so they're well experienced at Le Mans. 
But, uh, well, you know, for fans of 17, looks like you're in, guys. Fabulous. And uh, Nick Damon made the point is that we're not trying to write you out of the race here, but we obviously know that regulations have been carefully written and needed to be uh, abided by. But uh, they've obviously managed to have the conversation, crucially, and will be able to start the race. And, you know, you just swallow that lap that you'll be down because it's a 24-hour race and, and who knows where you will be at 2.30 on Sunday afternoon. Um, also, Joe, um, sorry, Paul asked this question about the, the 36 Signatech Alpine Elf car. And uh, see, Shay is technically off duty, but she's still properly on duty because she took uh, a minute to reply to this. Um, by the looks of things, she said the 36, they were putting a race gearbox and engine in in preparation for well, the key sessions tomorrow and obviously the race itself. So they've not made the top six. They've not made Hyperpole. So I'll fully focus now on the start on Saturday. So that's the reason, presumably, Paul, that they didn't do the first hour or so of this night practice. And, and it could be entirely routine. It could be an entirely planned bit of maintenance um, with, as both you and Bruce have been saying, the compressed nature of the timetable, um, meaning that you do take the chance uh, to do routine I don't say routine work, but uh, planned route work like putting in uh, race gearbox, race engine on the Thursday. So you get a little bit longer to run it on the um, before the race, because uh, once we get pre-practice over and done with tomorrow morning, um, we've just got the hyper pole if you're involved in that. Um, and then no other chance to run the car until that daft little 15 minute warm up session on Saturday morning <laughs> yes which is the half 10 till quarter to 11 thing on the between support races on, on Saturday morning Joe I know you've been dying to get in regarding the uh, Bicolis car so I'll let you do that now as well with our latest it's... VP Racing Fuels pit lane report the, the only reason I'm pestering you Johnny is so that <laughs> I don't forget <laughs> to mention it <laughs> at and your it gets age lost. it's going to happen isn't it Absolutely, but it happens a lot, lot, lot more than I'd, I really like to admit to. Um, we've been speculating as to what it was that put the number four by Collis uh, Enzo off. Uh, Bruno Spengler was at the wheel. Well, Bruno reports that the front end of the car bottomed out. It dropped, basically, and, uh, and rendered him out of control, which is what put him off. So the team are trying their best to find out what the causation of that, the front end of the car going and, and dropping, as he, he used the term drop, so um, dropping on him and uh, and the car then became a little bit undrivable and then subsequently he, he had an off. So the, spe- the, the, the information is is trickling through. We'll, uh, we'll keep pressing. The Radio Le Mans pit lane team. Powered by VP Fuels. GTE Am uh, is uh, led by the 88 car currently from the Proton uh, gang and there is a number of cars from that team entered this year uh, three from Dempsey Proton Racing and one from Proton Competition it's all kind of the same team but they uh, they carefully enter their cars into the various different um, continental championships so that they can maximise their opportunity to get entries into Le Mans and uh, that crew have done things that way for a number of seasons now so yeah three of the Dempsey hyphen Proton Racing cars and one entry from Proton Competition, but it's the 88 that's currently quickest. And what I need to tell you is who's doing the driving there in GTE Am. Adrian Delina at the moment. Yes. And Ricardo Perra in the sister car, which is just, ooh, two-tenths of a second slower, second fastest in class, third fastest in GTE Am. AF Corsa, Nicholas Nielsen. It stayed like that for a while. We've had a lot of cars in the pits. They're now back out on the circuit, so I do expect to start seeing some uh, quicker times 
in the minutes ahead. Certainly we had a sort of hiatus. Always seems to happen in a practice session. Yeah, uh, it's going to ebb and flow, and that's also dependent on uh, which tyres you're using at any one point, how old they are, and whether you're going for full fuel runs, seeing how, how long it takes to burn off that fuel. Uh, we'll talk about stint lengths in a, in a moment or two with Paul, but Bruce, but, you've but got this. One of the things I've just been watching to see who has been making stride recently, uh, Racing Team Nederland, always very quick. Nick de Vries took over, but he was only 12th fastest in class. I blinked, he's now 5th fastest in LMP2, just put in his car's fastest lap of the session, which puts it, well, not that close, two and a half seconds down on the fastest uh, runner in that class, which is Tristan Gomendy in the Duquesne team, Orica, which is top of the pile. So that's quite a lot, but certainly it was way, way closer when it came to qualifying. But we've got an hour and 20 minutes remaining, people working to a programme, building up perhaps towards the end of this session, which comes to a conclusion at midnight at Le Mans. So time aplenty, wherever you are in the world, midnight is coming in an hour and 20 minutes, doesn't matter what your own time scale is, but uh, that's how long they've got left in this session. I think we're going to see a flurry of times now. Track relatively clear, glance in the pit lane, certainly not clear. Three Ferraris no. covered, covered by one blanket down there. Yeah, all very busy down in AF Corsa land, and bear in mind that uh, even though the entrant names are very different. For example, Red River Sport and MR Racing. They're, a lot of those Ferraris are all prepared by AF Corsa. There's also the Chetelar Racing, Delara LMP2, which is an AF Corsa prepped car as well. So they were all occupying actually the Granny Annex, isn't it? The top mm. end of the pit lane is AF Corsa land for this year. Does that mean the factory cars won't be there? I'm sure. I haven't actually seen the pit garage allocation there will be a, a document knocking about as to where they all are but i would imagine that af Corsa are in the, the full height garages they won't have put them away in the extension will they no but they might have put uh, the the gte pro runners right in the last of the garages yeah. before you get to the uh, the sort of supplementary garages up towards pit exit we'll take a, a i've lost that document as well i did try and memorize it but there's an awful lot you try to memorize before a 24-hour race i think they're up towards where the old audi garage is effectively and just before there's then the additional what was it 10 or so that they added to make it a a 60 garage field and we had the extra ones the Easy ups last year where United Autosports uh, were based at the start of pit lane to make it 62, 62 wasn't it, last year. Yeah. So well, we're down by three, gives a bit more elbow space in the pit lane, lost those two supplementary garages at pit lane and one spare space further up. Right, so I mentioned the subject of stint lengths and we always try and get as much variety as possible within these through the years, but unfortunately a lot of the strategy... Uh, available to the teams seems to slowly be taken away year on year um, LMP2 Paul Trustwell I always have in my mind is 40 odd minutes we're we looking at LMP1's doing about the same yes we're, we're I think we're going to get LMP1's coming in before LMP2's um, but of course because the LMP1's are going quicker than the LMP2's um, you'll be getting the non-hybrids i.e. the Rebellions and the Enso uh, will be doing uh, 10 laps on a tank full of fuel um, the hybrids, the two Toyotas will be doing 11 laps on a tank full of fuel uh, now having said that um, two of the stints that the Rebellions have done so far um, the number three car, Roman Dumas, has done an 11-lap stint. Uh, and Louis Delatraz, at the wheel of the same car, has also done an 11-lap stint in this night practice session tonight. Um, 
So as far as P1 is concerned, you're looking at probably about 11 laps. Uh, as far as P2 is concerned, I think 10 laps is going to be more the order of the day. So um, actually, having said the P2s will come in after the P1s, I think that might mean we get the P2s coming in just before the P1s. But it'd be, yes, around about 35 to 38 minutes, I reckon, uh, before the first round of pit stops for the prototypes. But it does make a big difference, Paul. If, uh, if I, I heard the Rebellion drivers talking of doing 11-lap stints, um, they said, we'd still like a bit more performance, but at least we can match the Toyotas in terms of stint length. But that means that they'll be, um, if they do the 11, they might be coming in by the time we've got to about the second round of pit stops, at the same time as the 10-lap stinting LMP2s. It might make it suddenly uh, much busier. It, it will get a lot busier, especially with so many LMP2s in the field. Um, and, you know, for me... Uh, it's, um, it's, it's great that we've got so many LMP2s in the field, um, but I do think it's going to change um, the complexion of the way the race looks somehow um, because of the, the extra P2 cars that are out there. Um, and of course, the problem is, I mean, I was thinking a moment ago as you were talking about Nick de Vries's time in the racing team Nederland, uh, Orica, the number 29 car, um, and we, we were again mentioned this earlier on uh, during the free practice sessions uh, that car very quick indeed when Guido van der Garde or oh, Nick de Vries is driving it but Fritz van der Erd is just not as quick um, and you know so from the point of view of the overall time that that car or the overall position of that car after all three drivers have been at the wheel is going to fall down um, because you compare it with some of the driver lineups we've got in not all of the other cars because some of the other everybody has to have a silver driver in there uh, in their LMP2 car but an awful lot of them uh, do have um, a, a much better silver driver than others shall we put it that way yeah and, and it's a maximum of a silver driver because some have bronzes don't they and that's also fine um, for instance Racing Team Nederland go with Fritz van Erd as their non uh, gold or platinum effectively but that's their choice you know you could have gone with a silver and effectively had an even yeah. better combination but uh, Fritz van Erd is um, one of the really quick bronzes as we what? were discussing earlier on today yeah and when we talked about uh, the racing team Nederland car it was uh, fifth in class and then immediately beaten by another team that's got a bronze driver that's cool racing Nicola Lapierre at the wheel but Alexandre Quagny is yeah. a bronze in that car so they will have a they'll probably be fighting on a similar part of track but don't forget if it ever gets busy Racing Team Nederland just has to do one thing, put Guido van der Gaarder in the car. He is the ultimate overtaker. You watch him in a European Le Mans Series race, doesn't matter where they put him in. He fights up the order, and the fact that car's bright yellow makes it even easier to pick up. But, uh, yeah, mix and match. Bit of front-end damage on the number 88 uh, Dempsey Proton car. That was a car that's been going very well in the GTE AM class. Front right-hand corner from driver's point of view. That's the car that uh, is fastest in class. Adrian Jolina set the time, and one, uh, he's the last driver in the car. That's in the pits. They're just also checking that front right-hand corner. Hmm. Trying to take it off, so maybe something has been bent over a curb. But, uh, yeah, the whole unit about to be pulled off. All right, well, that's concerning and work that they didn't expect to have to weave into this session. Uh, but, yeah, to finish the point about Racing Team Nederland, it's almost a bit disappointing, actually, to know for a fact that that car is in the top six for tomorrow because uh, one thing I've thoroughly enjoyed for this year and some of last year as well is that the Guida van der Garde often started car has to start from the back of the field often. And I think the last time that happened was because they didn't manage to get 
two drivers registering times in the World Endurance Championship round at Spa. So needed to start from the rear, and it involved Guido van der Garde from the very back of the field. That's behind all the GT cars, bear in mind. Effectively leading LMP2 before the first stops. Uh, incredible to watch. And, um, well, the lowest hill will start the race now, we know, is, is sixth place. And it's much more likely to be a front row start, I would say, depending on, well, whoever it is that qualifies that car, either Guido or, or Nick de Vries. Now, just mentioned the damage to the front right-hand corner of the 88 Dempsey Proton Porsche. It looks like the front unit was being taken off. They were just wrestling to get a brake caliper off. So maybe he's going to say <laughs> they were uh, putting a new one on. So maybe saying, I just didn't have the braking in that front corner. Thus, I have damaged your beautiful black, grey and white Porsche, but a little bit of front damage just to the front right-hand corner under the headlight. The body is missing. A big chunk of bodywork about the size of the headlight actually will need to be taped up, but uh, concerns about suspension damage there proved a little bit um, over the top. And so it was simply them trying to get a new brake caliper on. It was a, rather a, a tightly framed view of the ongoings in pit lane and an indication of Again, how much extra stuff the team have to weave in to do this work on the fly. It's all very well rehearsed. And uh, Dempsey Proton Racing, incredibly experienced with Christian Reed, still the only now ever-present driver in all World Endurance Championship races since that championship came into being at the start of 2012. Brendan Hartley through the Dunlop curve to now crest that rise underneath the Dunlop bridge. His car, number eight, the Toyota TSA 50 that he shares with Kaz Nakajima and Sebastian Buemi remains in fourth position as we get this from Paul Truswell. Yes, uh, Brendan Hartley does that. He goes on to the 11th lap of uh, his stint. So I'd already spoke about, spoken about the 11-lap uh, stint from um, the other Toyota, the number seven car, which uh, did 11 laps in the hands of Kamui Kobayashi. Um, and, well, now the other one has done it as well. So, or it will have done by the time it gets to the end of this lap. But expect Brendan Hartley into the pits uh, at the end of the lap that he is currently on. That will be a full tank of fuel used by the uh, number eight car. And just for purposes of finding out exactly the length of that stint, uh, the number eight came out of the pits at 2114. Um, that's UK time, not French time. Uh, 2114. So by the time he gets round, that will be about 35, 36 minutes uh, of his stint. Um, and just to go on to talk about GT, because uh, just as important, the GT uh, stint lengths will be pretty solid, I would think, on 14 laps. Uh, again, that's been an area of a great deal of concern for the balances of performance um, and they have tried to ensure that 14 laps is exactly what you're going to have to do on a tank full of fuel if you are a GT car um, and indeed the amount of time that the fuel will then take to put in having done your full stint uh, is also going to be very closely monitored this year using uh, fuel flow sensors not on the car itself but on the refueling rig I should say uh, not only on the car itself, because the car itself has fuel flow sensors, but the fueling rig will also have a, uh, a sensor on it so that the uh, timekeepers and officials know exactly how long the refueling rig is connected for. Um, and so any pokery that goes on in the fueling system, um, well, there's no point because you, you have to leave the hose connected for the requisite amount of time. 
And 14 times four, as in four minutes, Paul, 56, so about an hour, roughly, give or take. Yeah, exactly, yeah. They'll, uh, I mean, you worked it out, 56 minutes, if the laps are four minutes, if they're a little bit less than that, um, it'll be a little bit less than uh, less than an hour, but they will try and do 14 laps, so they say, uh, just because that's the way the regulations are written. Yeah, and it, uh, well... For me, anyway, just makes it easier to know that the GTs are roughly going to be pitting uh, every hour. But, of course, the longer you go on, the more the chance that for that to get out of sync and to people to fall into a slightly different stagger. Uh, and we kind of lose that pattern probably after the third hour or so. Um, yeah, it, go on. It, it, does, it does mean that the GT class uh, becomes very much one of um, a, a competition between the drivers, uh, and there is less and less now of a difference that can be made in the pits. Um, as I say, because of the way that uh, the the balances of performance try and uh, equalise the way that the uh, GT cars go, and it's quite a, a tricky task because even just comparing Porsche, Ferrari, and Aston Martin, uh, there are three very different concepts there in terms of uh, car configuration, engine layout. Um, uh, normally aspirated turbo and so on. Um, so actually to balance those as closely as they manage to uh, is, a, is a very tall order indeed and I uh, have to say hats off to, hats off to the balancers because um, generally they do a good job and uh, I mean how many times Johnny have you watched cars going down GT cars going down the Mulsanne straight side by side? I mean happens so often doesn't it? Yeah completely and, and you know that's what we want isn't it? For 24 hours solid <laughs> ideally um and therefore, I think to make that happen, because you have such radically different car designs, are they getting more and more similar? Because we now had a have a mid-engine Porsche, and it was touch and go as to whether it would be a turbocharged Porsche as well. They chose the late hour to go normally aspirated, but did manage to factor a, a little bit more uh, cubic capacity in the traditional 4-litre flat 6. It's now just about 42 in the new RSR 19 that's not so new now actually it's just about a year old when it debuted at Silverstone last September but yes then you've got the mid-engine Ferrari you've got the front engine Aston Martin which is also turbocharged these days too so I you know it's really tricky to match three very different cars sadly we've not got the Corvettes here this year no longer do we have four GTs or the BMWs the uh, M eight wasn't it last it was year yeah, mate, yeah. yeah and still running in the states those cars of course um so yeah it, it's still three three manufacturers but very tricky to get them all on an even keel and that is the name of the game to try and get them across the line side by side by hoppers to sunday afternoon it certainly makes it harder you think back a few years we had 14 works cars in gt pro and uh, they stayed yeah. together for the first as far as i recall about four hours nose to tail occasionally one would fall off the back of the group so what we've still got a dozen but for me, one of the things that I really will miss this year from the is not having that rumble of the Corvettes. Of course, a, a totally different, new, fresh Corvette, different way of doing things. But it'd be so disappointing if that noise doesn't return at some point in the future. I gather it was a fixture, ident uh, fixture congestion that led to them uh, not coming over, both when the race was supposed to be in June and then again once it was clear that it was going to be later in the year. So uh, do come back. You have legions of fans out there. At, well and all around the world looking to see what you do and um, hopefully we'll have some more manufacturers coming back to GTE Pro because it does provide scintillating racing and you know some of the very best drivers in the field are works drivers in that in that category 
Worst drivers and Toyotas don't, 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 get, don't get their cars on the track at the same time at the moment because uh, one of the Toyotas is in the pits at the moment. Brendan Hartley's brought in the number eight, and that's being Told worked you. on. You did tell us, Paul. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he expected it in because uh, he couldn't go much further, and that being wheeled into the garage. One thing we need to look for is when Brendan steps out, is he wearing his special night helmet? Because I heard tell that he has a day helmet livery and a night helmet one. So we'll see if he hops out wearing a, a largely black and white helmet. He's understood that it's night time. There's a, there's a, um, uh, a little tangent we could go off on. Uh, as soon as you started saying that, uh, Bruce, I instantly thought of Frank Beeler. Um, he always used to have two different helmets, one to drive in... Uh, during the night and once driving during the daytime. Different liveries, um, so he knew which one to pick up? Or what was the difference between the helmets? <laughs> uh, there were different colours. One was yeah. one was dark coloured and one was light coloured. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know I don't know if, if I ever knew why. Somebody will tell me why and I'll say, oh, yes. But I've, if I have ever known, then I've forgotten. Um, but I'm sure there are people out there who are listening on Twitter who will uh, be able to tell tales of other um, drivers who had such things as... Uh, you know, different, certainly different visors. Yes, one doesn't want say, a tinted yeah. visor at dark. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it just means you don't have to switch your visor, doesn't it? You just have two separate helmets. That's, it would seem to be the obvious answer, but it may be more complex. Adam Olsen corner. You can hear the engine in the background of the little 2.4-litre V6 with the hybrid mechanism giving it most of the projection out of the corner as well. This is Jose Maria Lopez in, at the wheel of the number seven Toyota then. These headlights on the modern-day sports cars are just phenomenal because there is no shortage of visibility. Although, having said that, Jose Maria Lopez just had to think for a second which side he was going to go with the Team Project 1 Porsche, number 56, in the Bumblebee colours. Great that Team Project 1 have to, uh, chosen to go with such radically different colour schemes. That's down to the wins sponsorship, I know, of the 57. Team Project 1 for 56. Those are the typical colours. I think they've run in the Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland for a number of years as well. Uh, Joe Bradley. Actually, we'll hear from uh, Brendan Hartley first. Wash understeer through all the apexes, I think Brendan just said. Uh, a little bit nervous on the braking as well, but uh, surprised at the current aero numbers, says the Kiwi. And actually unplugged the radio briefly to check the data. Uh, Joe, we have got uh, about a minute for you to make a comment before we do the weather with travel destinations. I was I was just wanting to jump in on the comment on with regards to the difference between day, daytime and nighttime helmets, and obviously the, uh, the 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 thing would have been visors. However, that's not as important these days because we've got closed cockpit cars. Whereas uh, in the days when we uh, we were open top, that would have been more important. Uh, we see the, the majority of the drivers still running tinted visors inside of these cars and I think that's to help the glare from maybe lights in the mirrors which uh, which will come and go and then they can just flick the visors up and down as per needed and maybe the I would think that the different livery on the helmet is to ensure that the drivers don't mess up and uh, put the wrong helmet on for the wrong session Radio Le Mans Weather 
So, clear night. Uh, temperature right now about 21 degrees, zero humidity, and a, well, a smallish breeze, 21 kilometres per hour. Overnight, it's going to drop to 16 degrees Celsius, but for much of tomorrow morning, sunny, and then a bit of cloud moves in for the afternoon. That's the weather on Haggerty Radio Le Mans with travel destinations. Book for Le Mans and the Classic 2021 on www.lemansrace.com. Live coverage of the world's greatest motor race, the Le Mans 24 Hours on RS1. This is Radio Le Mans with HPDE Track Day Insurance. Affordable and customizable. You can relax knowing you're covered at Track Days, time trials, and high performance driving events. Get a quote online in 30 seconds at haggerty.com. We're live covering the 24 hours of Le Mans for 2020. Very different time of year, but nevertheless, the feeling, for me at least, is as if it's June. The weather's been glorious today at the track and set for a decent day tomorrow as well. For me, the car was actually a little bit more difficult to drive, if anything, through the exit of the curves and through the chicanes. The car felt more stable bouncing on the curves before than now. That's my opinion. Okay, no sense. It's Gustavo Menezes chatting with the crew at Rebellion Racing. Very slight adjustments there to the dampers on the rear axle. So engine cover coming off, rear deck coming off. And what was that, a quarter of a turn, maybe an eighth of a turn? Uh, as the conversation was being had with those on the pit crew... He seemed reasonably happy, did Menezes? Yeah, he did. He did again, looking into his eyes as he sat in the car, waiting for the work. But the thing that intrigued me there was the fact the engineers that went out at the back were holding um, a, a sort of pre-written notebook. They've obviously got a program of things they're going to try. It wasn't something they're doing on on the on the run on, you know, on the hoof. They were going, okay, work to that one, see what that does for you. That was a, a ring-bound. Uh, file they've created for this event. So they've got their program they're working through, but uh, the fact that Gustavo Menezes was feeling pretty happy, third fastest at the moment, the sister car, top of the pile, faster than both of the Toyotas. So for for Rebellion, going pretty well at this point. We've got heap of pole tomorrow, of course, and the little practice beforehand, but um, working through the program. It was almost like the chef with the recipe book there and the wooden spoon in hand, except it was uh, a, a, a different implement to change the damper settings, but very intricate changes and then they'll send him out for a few more laps but happy by the sounds of things when he does get up on the curbs want to try and avoid that obviously for tyre longevity and to please the stewards as well but if you are forced there by traffic good to see good to hear that the car the rebellion number one is relatively stable steering wheel being attached for charlie eastwood in the number 90 tf sports aston martin well, talking Aston Martins, I've been hunting high and low for any changes in, in lap times. And uh, in GTE Pro Class, suddenly Aston Martin were nowhere. Fastest when we went to qualifying, came first and second in that. And Marcus Sorensen has just gone second, second fastest. Hasn't quite caught the pace set by Michael Christensen in the 92 Porsche. But that 95 Aston Martin very much on the move and has closed to within ooh, half a second of that. So that's picking up the pace. Uh, but the 92 car out on track with Christensen. Slightly bouncing off the curbs just there at the Ford Chicane, but uh, he seems very comfortable. We heard from him a short while ago and um, very cool, calm and collected. And anyone who's met Michael Christensen knows that's pretty much his modus operandi. Very, very measured driver. Very quick driver. 
driver having to just make his way past another Porsche, one of the Dempsey Proton cars, as he went through the, port the uh, Dunlop curves. But uh, did it make sure the driver of the car in front had seen him before he dared to put his nose up the inside? And uh, the other rebellion is now in the pits. That's the one that's fastest of all. And uh, Nat Berton has just clambered. I didn't quite spot who was climbing on board. We'll know that shortly. But... Uh, Clearly, that's about to go out again, but it's fastest time so far. One minute, uh, th one minute, that'd be good. Three minutes, 19.158 seconds. Puts it, oh, just a whisker under half a second clear of the number seven Toyota. So bragging rights at the moment. And uh, let's hope they can get that sorted. Work still going on down at Edex Sport. They've brought in a, a new tub and uh, swapping things across. And how cruel for one team to have both of the cars that got damaged in practice earlier. They missed qualifying, but uh, any thoughts of a nice gentle run through a qualifying session and four hours of extra practice at the end of uh, Thursday at Le Mans? And unfortunately for the mechanics, the ones you want to stress the least, they've got the most work. Both cars from Edex Sport in the pits. And the requisite mechanic there, almost standing on his head in the cockpit, rewiring uh, around the footwell. So, yeah, not the time that they wanted to be doing all this. At least they will know the car inside and out, though, uh, when it finally does take the race start. Fingers crossed that it does Saturday afternoon. Paul Trustwell is uh, continuing to be with us for this segment on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. We're covering night practice and just started the fourth of four hours this evening, Paul. Yes, just uh, looking down at cars which have been in the pits for uh, quite a long time, really. Uh, that was what drew my attention to, uh, first of all, car number 55 uh, and then car number 56. 55 uh, being the spirit of race Ferrari, 56 uh, the first of three Team Project 1 Porsches, um, both of which have done their requisite nighttime laps, uh, 55 in the uh, hands of Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin and Aaron Scott. Um, they've done their nighttime laps and I just wonder whether they're packing up and saying, right lads, that's it, no more work to be done tonight, car's working well uh, and uh, let's go home. Same could apply to the 56 car, the Team Project 1 Porsche. Egidio uh, Perfetti, Larry Tenvord and Matteo Cairoli have uh, all done their requisite laps. No point in carrying on uh, if you don't need to and I think they may well have uh, decided to call it a day for call it a day for this practice session at least um say so if uh, we hear that there's a problem down there in the pit lane then uh, we'll tell you about it but uh, both those cars having been there for more than half an hour uh, and i suspect that's not with any problem that's just job done that uh, ring binder that uh, bruce was describing um has got all the jobs ticked yeah, you, you talk about Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin, Aaron Scott. They're certainly a team coming to Le Mans with some form, having taken victory last time out in the ELMS round at uh, Paul Ricard. That was the Le Castellet 240. Had to be rearranged, uh, the venue of that uh, race. Originally meant to be Barcelona, but Barcelona, a place sadly heavily affected by coronavirus right now, so deemed not safe to travel to for so many teams from around Europe to the third round of the championship. And instead, we went back to Paul Ricard, where we started the ELMS this season. And um, it's been a long wait. It was middle portion, or April 2018, I think it had been, since the previous win for that trio, who have been racing with, for Spirit of Race for a number of seasons now in that green Ferrari with the silver roof. But, yeah, they'll be very happy indeed to be at this stage um, of, the, of their plans this early on into Thursday night. Rebellion number three still quickest with a 319.158, 0.4 of a second faster than the number seven Toyota 
And then you've got the number one Rebellion running in third place. The other Toyota car number eight of Brendan Hartley is back out again, fighting a little bit of wash on the understeer. He reported to the team last time out and unstable or nervous under braking, but that car's still fourth. LMP2 is topped by Duquesne team at the number 30 car with the two United Autosports LMP2s behind of Alex Brundle and Paul DiResta. As we can go back to Joe, because you have a VP Racing Fuels pit lane interview for us now, Joe Bradley. I have. I'm uh, hoping to be able to speak to Richard Bradley. Richard, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, buddy. Hello, mate. Um, things not going as you would have planned, I would imagine. That looked like a pretty big hit from where I was sitting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's certainly not ideal. Uh, the best thing is that Paul is okay. Uh, I mean, it, it, it was just a simple error. You know, Paul is uh, he's a guy I've been following now for the last three years, and this is the first time I've ever seen him, you know, make, make an error. So it's, it's, it's a very rare thing. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a shame, but he's completely fine, which is the good news. That is the excellent news. And we're friends of Paul Lafarge, very familiar with Paul and his family uh, through our Creventic coverage, of course. Um, we are, of course, talking about the number 28 EDEC Orica, um, the car being retubbed, Richard. How's the job going? Yeah, so the uh, unfortunately uh, the monocoque was written off in the accident, so we have had to retub it. Uh, that has meant that uh, we missed out on uh, the vast majority of FP2 qualifying and all of the night running tonight. Um, it will be completely fine and ready for the morning. Um, it, there was a chance we could have got it out tonight, but we decided that it's better to make sure that we get everything spot on um, and, you know, the boys don't rush it and everything. So we'll be out tomorrow. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, it means that because we didn't run in uh, in, in the, the night practice or in qualifying, uh, we technically haven't qualified the drivers. So it means that we have to start um, from the pit lane a lap down, mm. which obviously isn't ideal, but um, it, it, you know, the, the, the one thing with Le Mans, and it's something I've learned in the years, you kind of know whether you have a chance at this race um, in the first session of the test day, uh, because it's so hard to tune your car into this place. And, you know, I, I had a, this morning with the car that we had, it, it's the best car I've had here since 2015. So even though we're, we're not starting in an ideal position, I definitely think you can't count us out of it yet. I think we still have a, a good chance. I love to hear that in your in your voice, Richard. And you know, you you quite an experienced driver now, um, and so you've kind of answered the question there with regards to just how do you motivate yourself with such a, a deficit and such a disadvantage from the very outset? Or I suppose, do you just think, well, we can't really go any further backwards? You know, it's it's one of those things where you you, you can look at it in two ways. You can look at it in in the fact that you know, obviously it sucks. We haven't even got to the race and we're going to be a lap down. Well, you can look at it in another way. You know, we're, we're in the privileged position where, you know, we've got, we've got a, a crew of drivers where, you know, I, I've, I've won this race in the past and, and both me and Paul have polled it. We've all won championships, you know, and everybody in the team. I mean, our engineer, Dave Benbo, he won here overall with Jaguar before I was even born. So... We have all have a wealth of experience and, and we know that with, with what we have inside the team and, and how good the package was earlier, there will be opportunities and, uh, that come up to us um, where we will be able to try and make the most of our experience. And I think that will be the sort of thing 
which gets us back into the race and we can start chipping away at it um, as things happen and, and use what we have to our advantage. So to be honest, it's, it's a different sort of race, but there are, there are opportunities will open up in terms of strategy and stuff like that, which wouldn't normally present themselves. So I think it's actually going to be a really, a really exciting race. And as you say, I've been around the block a few times now, so I'll be doing whatever I can to help. And of course, being teamed with uh, Paul Fargo and Paul Chatin with the EDEC team, current ELMS champions, um, is that something that you relish? Does that give you a nice sort of cuddly feeling? Yeah, it, it's to be honest, I um, this is you know it's it, it, the, the most important thing for me in, in, in motorsport is to have fun. You know, I'm fortunate to make a career out of this. Uh, but there's plenty of other avenues I have in my life where I can make a career if I wanted to. So, you know, the most important thing for me is to have fun. And to be honest, this is uh, this has been so far, even though we've had some really, really bad uh, bad luck with um, with a few things that have happened in the MS, hasn't gone great, obviously, with the COVID situation. This has actually been my, my most fun year of motorsport since the KCMG days, which is well documented how much I enjoyed that. And I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. The, the, the Paul Lou and, uh, and Paul and the whole team, Nick Manassian, Patrice Lafargue, Dave Benbo, Nick Briso, all everybody else, they're just class acts. And I'm just loving every single minute of being there, you know. And even though I should now be pretty depressed and wanting to jump off a building, you can tell I feel quite <laughs> upbeat. And, and a lot of that is to do with, with the people in the team. So, no, I'm absolutely loving life, to be honest. And uh, Richard, just give us a bit of insight. I mean, Le Mans, the Le Mans 24 is such a unique place, such a unique racetrack, but none more so unique than the event this year. I mean, what's it like being in the pit lane and looking across to the empty grandstands? Is that, do, do you even take that in? It's, you know, it's um, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm a motorsport fan um, more, than, more than anything else. And as I said, I'm fortunate to make a career out of this. But as you've well seen, I, I race everything under the sun and I go and watch every race I can just because I love, I love racing. So I get a lot of what people enjoy from doing that. And, you know, to have it empty, I think, is, is sad in a way. Um, it it, it kind of sucks. But to be perfectly honest with you, I, you have to look at the bigger picture that I remember that when I was at home in the lockdown in London and, uh, you know, my girlfriend's stuck in, in, well, I say stuck, she's back in China and I can't go visit her. So I haven't seen her or my, or my dog or anything like that for six months. And I was thinking, God, where are we going racing again? I remember when NASCAR started and I was able to stay up till four o'clock in the morning watching NASCAR. And I was overjoyed at finally being able to watch racing again. So I think I'm sure we've got people watching all over the world who are just so happy to be able to see that after this, the hell that every single person has been through, you know, we're, we're getting, we've got some excitement coming back. And I, um, you know, the one thing with Le Mans is it's always a good show. And I think if you look at the LMP2 situation this year, especially as, of course, I'm focusing on that, it's going to be a cracking race. So, yeah, it's, it's sad in the way that we're here, but, you know, people are going to be loving it at home. And as a fan, I'm, I'm you know, I'd love to be watching it at home with a few beers as well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I miss about this race as well, not being able to do that. Richard, it's fabulous that we've been able to talk to you and uh, we'll hopefully do this again across the weekend once we get inside the race. And it's great to hear how motivated you are. But I think that's a Bradley trait. I know we're not directly uh, related, but somewhere down the line we will be. And that's a Bradley trait. We always look on the positive side. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. And uh, luckily I'm being able to spread to the French people somewhat. We just don't talk about Brexit that much in the team. so. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Richard. I'll leave you to your evening, and I'm sure you're going to be watching uh, the rest of this session uh, conclude. Uh, great to talk to you, and best of luck for the weekend. It can only get better from here, mate. 
Perfect. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Bradley to Bradley. Bradley. I like that. Thank you, Joe. And thank you, Richard, as well, for taking the time out. Uh, 2015, his one and only win at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in the LMP2 category uh, with Matt Housen and Nicola Lapierre in those KCMGJs that he still, obviously, uh, you know, massively remembers with fond memories. Uh, and it's it's a delight, actually, to know that he's enjoying himself so much now at EDEC as well. Uh, well, entirely so. And... Uh Joe and I saw him, he talked about, Richard talked about racing anything wherever possible. That family has a huge history in historic racing. So we saw him just a few weeks ago racing at Thruxton, Aston Martin, Ulster, having great time. But he put up a fantastic tweet uh, this morning. This is it, said Richard Bradley. This is the day after all this waiting to go driving. Train Sim 2021 on the West Coast (laughs) mainline south are being released. Oh, and the small matter of uh, practice for Le Mans. (laughs) Bring it on. Choo-choo. What a funny guy. Quick guy too. Uh, am I sad enough to say that I'm going to be second in the queue getting that downloaded onto my laptop? I didn't doubt that for a second, I Johnny. think I might have already said it accidentally. <laughs> it was such a, a phenomenal thing to find out that he's a world-class sports car driver but also likes uh, train simulators. Those two things don't quite go to, together in my mind. But there we are. Richard Bradley is a delight uh, both in and out of the car and uh, great that he we, we had to com- commit uh, a few sort of five-minute chunks to us uh, over the course of the 24 hours as well when he's not taking some sleep and he's not in the car. Uh, Aston Martin garage, very empty indeed, which is good to see because the 95, the 97 and the 98 cars are all putting their mileage in. And the number seven machine, which is the Toyota, having been in the garage actually for, well, a nose change or maybe just a nose off an adjustment and then the same bodywork back on. The engine cover also being applied as well. Uh, with 43 minutes left on the clock, there is still the opportunity to put in a bit more running. And the 85 Iron Lynx Ferrari, which... Now, who's just brought that in? It looks like it's just arrived on pit road. This is the, the trio that were with Kessel Racing last year and have now switched to Iron Lynx. And it's Michelle Gatting, yes. Isn't it, Paul? Thank you. As Joe Bradley is lining up another interviewee, by the way, to uh, give us another VP Racing Fuels pit lane interview very shortly indeed. We'll get to that when we can. Paul? So, yeah, just to quickly mention that Laurence Van Tour uh, in the number 92, fastest of the GT Pro class cars, uh, having his first turn behind the wheel of the car. So, uh, Laurence, a bit of a, a night owl, uh, waits till gone 11 o'clock at night local time before he has his uh, first turn behind the wheel of the 92 car. Driving so far has all been done uh, by either Kevin Estra or Michael Christensen. So Kevin uh, was at the wheel when it uh, went very slowly uh, earlier on in the session and then Michael Christensen took it over but uh, Lawrence Van Tour just going through now um, and completing his first uh, no that was his outlap so now he goes on to his first flying lap uh, at the wheel of the car that's currently fastest in the GTE Pro class so seven car back out on track now at Forest S's and through that very fast right hand kink just before Tete Rouge proper now with Mike Conway driving yes now with the change of driver and astounding still to uh, recognise how quick the cars are going, particularly the, uh, the two Toyotas through that part of the circuit. Uh, it's a lift, if anything, but you're just completely reliant on that punch out of the, 
sort of medium speed corner that Tert Rouge is provided by the hybrid and then all that extra downforce as well. But um, when I've not been uh, on shift uh, in the past, I've always made it a priority to head down towards Tert Rouge to stand on driver's left and see the cars through that part of the circuit because it's epic and it's very similar actually to watching a Formula One car heading through Maggots and Beckett's at Silverstone. Right, uh, we're getting through our drivers and the driver interviews very rapidly indeed, all thanks to Joe Bradley. Let's go back to him for a VP Racing Fuels pit lane report. I'm going to talk to Alex Capardia, who is uh, out in the number 24, the Nielsen Racing uh, entry. Alex, I'm hoping you can hear me, my Hello. friend. Can Hi, you hear mate. me okay? um, I can hear you. Yeah, you're very much loud and clear. Um, Give us a brief summary of how your day has gone here at Le Mans, please, Alex. It's been really productive, actually. Um, so we started the day um, having only done a very brief test at Monte Blanco with this car. Um, the car is a rented car from uh, Algarve Pro. And obviously, I don't know if you, if you remember, but back to Ricard a few weeks ago, the car ended up on its roof. So this is a, a re-tubs car that um, had a brief shakedown at Monte Blanco, and then we've come straight here. So... Um, we didn't really know where we were going to be with set up. We've got um, Algarve Pro's sort of baseline set up, but bear in mind that's a, that's a Goodyear-tired team. So we're running Michelins. So we've had a few uh, a few things to do with that uh, to try and move it on a bit, but um, to, to, to so our what, tires. What, but yeah, what do you mean by that, good. Alex? Well, just to give, well, give me a bit of an insight there, because I'm a bit of a, uh, an engineering geek, so you've gone from a different tyre, different tyre manufacturer, so I would imagine different compounds, but also potentially different constructions in tyres. So where, what direction have you had to go in? Does that mean you've had all the things like casters, camber, uh, you know, really in-depth sort of setup stuff like that? Yeah, so, so the, the main difference is in the construction. One, one's got a lot of stiffer sidewall than the other, so we've been having to adjust the ride height quite significantly from where we thought we were going to be. Um, and that's been making a massive difference all day. We've, you know, we've, uh, every single session we've made, a, made an improvement. Um, not even every session, every single run we've done in the car, we've made a, a step towards the right direction. And it's just, um, it's, it's unfortunate that we didn't have, you know, the full Le Mans experience this time. Had we done the test day and then the Wednesday and then the Thursday, we would have probably been a lot further up by this point. But, um, Given the time we've had, I think we've made really, really good progress, actually. Just just trying to tune the car to the different construction of the tyre. Um, so it's, it's mainly been ride height and, um, and suspension, but um, they're, the, they're the crucial things in these cars, really. So when we say, when we say oh, there's plenty of time out on track, plenty of time for drivers to acclimatise and, uh, and get to grips with the track, I suppose you guys have, were, were really very much on the back foot were from lack of a, a, a test weekend. And one of the things we yeah, mentioned well, earlier was that lack of a test weekend gave us a very green track indeed. Yeah, it was. This morning it was extremely slippery. And I, I doubt it's going to rubber into the same level we've seen in the last few years, you know, because we, we've obviously got less running overall with, you know, without eight hours on the test day. Um, and you saw 25 being the pole time in LMP2 last year, 3.25. And I think this year was a 3.27, so this, it's already two seconds slower at this point in the weekend. And with the rain forecast yeah. for the race, or part of the race at least, I don't think we're going to see the same lap times we've seen in previous years. But definitely, for us, not having a test day has really been a big, um, a big blow, really, because we're one of only two teams in LMP2 that, haven't, um, that are sort of learning LMP2 that haven't run LMP2 before. 
so most of the guys of the, of the, of the 24 guys out there or 24 cars there's 22 of them who regularly run an mp2 cars and you know they most of the driver lineups are being kept the same they're well gelled teams you know we've got some excellent people that have been brought in to run this p2 program for nielsen but they're all people who are working with each other for the first time in the last few days and so our job is really to try and catch up to the pack as quickly as we can and and keep advancing quicker than everyone else's and i think we've done quite a good job of that today um it's we you know we've even even since qualifying we've already made a few quite a few steps forward just this evening so question is how much can we do in the race and you mentioned the weather forecast the, the weather forecast is looks a little bit naughty actually with uh, some very heavy rain forecast for overnight saturday into sunday i've always believed that the wet is a good leveler though alex and that might come into play uh, and and be a bit of a coming to play in in your favour, I should say. I think so. Yeah, I think it definitely will. Um, I, would, I have to say, it's probably right now another curveball we probably don't need, but it, it does they probably take away an advantage that some of the other teams, you know, have at the moment, which is um, you know dry weather setup information. So the wet will definitely be a level for us. That said, um, we've got two drivers who are making a debut here at Le Mans this weekend in the team and going into the night in the dark in the wet as well potentially it's saying that at the moment the forecast i've just looked at is showing that the, a lot of the heavy rain overnight is not quite as bad now but it's potentially going to be halfway between slicks and wets all night um which is possibly the worst situation because you've got to constantly be trying to judge whether it's still wet enough for wets or dry enough now for slicks and obviously when you can't quite see the track surface in sort of full daylight it's very very difficult to judge that so that will make that will make our jobs harder. But you're right; it will be. It will probably also the flip side will be it will take away some of the benefit of the uh, other teams. Um, I'm right in thinking this is your second Le Mans, Alex. That's right. Yes, yeah. so I did it in um, yeah. 2015 with the uh, GTE uh, Porsche that I raced. But I've done. So, I have raced here three other times in the road to Le Mans as well. Yeah, that's 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 what confused me, and that's why I had to clarify that with you. Um, being here before, though, you're the elder statesman in the team, and and your, your teammates, no doubt, will be asking you lots of questions. What well, give us an insight as to what sort of questions you've been asked by your teammates in, in preparation for this weekend? God, so many. Um, well, for example, yes, this I morning, bet, so you I go bet there on, is on a. On a on a, on a really, really green track, you go out and you think, oh, my God, the car feels awful through, for example, through the Porsche curves or through uh, the forest section between the Bugatti circuit and the and Tete Rouge. And the main reason those particular sections feel so bad is because they're the bits that don't ever get run on. You know, the road gets run on every day by road cars. The Bugatti circuit gets raced on quite regularly. But the link roads between the two don't get run on very often. So when the guys come in and say, oh, it's, it, the car's awful through this bit or through that bit, you have to say, well, hang on a minute, that bit's going to get better. We're not touching the car for that bit. We're working on the bits where we think the track is going to change the least. Um, and trying to, um, you know, decipher what they're saying and, and give them advice on that, is, is, for example, is one thing that we've, we've been doing. But also just trying to talk them through um, how to approach the race. You know, the fact that it is a 24-hour race, which is essentially a whole season of ELMS in one in one period, you know, of 24 hours. You've got to take a slightly different approach to how you treat the car, how you um, treat everything about it, how you look after yourself, how you manage your hydration and your sleep and all those sorts of things as well. So yeah, ex I can't even remember all the things. I bet, I bet, I bet the two of them would just be 
become sponges, don't they, with gleaning every bit of information from you. Um, Alex, it's That's great right. to talk to you. Um, there's still a lot of uh, weekend left, and I'm, I'm hoping we can hook up again and uh, and you can give us an update on how the uh, the number 24 car is doing. Would that be possible? I know you've got a very heavy no schedule ahead yeah. of you, obviously. I'm sure we can do something, yeah, that would be great. Brilliant. Thanks, Alex. Alex Capardi there, out of the number 24 Nielsen Racing entry, and uh, we wish Alex all the very best, guys. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, it's great to have Alex back, actually, in racing, because we had a season, a season and a half, when um, he didn't do any racing, purely because of family commitments and uh, wanting to spend much more time on, on business as well. Um, but it's, I think it's great to actually have his name on the entry list. I was delighted to see that in a deal that was arranged relatively late on. Uh, and it has been five years since he was last in the, the big show, the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which means he escapes rookie status by the skin of his teeth. If it had been six years since his last appearance, he would be labelled as a rookie and therefore have to do the uh, requisite uh, qualification laps. But you're in and you're on the list that is produced in the supplementary regs uh, every year by the ACO. The same cannot be said, though, for his teammates. Um, Garrett Grist and uh, sorry in the Nielsen car it is yeah Garrett Grist the young Canadian 25 years old and Tony Wells who uh, regularly races with a guy called Colin Noble young Scotsman in Nielsen's car in the Michelin Le Mans Cup and indeed in the ELMS but I think this is the first time Nielsen will have got their hands on a on an LMP2 car so that's a big step up as well but useful to, to prep the Orica depending on where the team wants to go next year and beyond and uh, yeah, just settling in as well for Nielsen Racing. Just to clarify, talk of its uh, outing in the European Le Mans series ending on its roof. That was in the hands of Loic Duval when it was racing for Algarve Pro Racing. Went round the outside, the corner after seeing the double droite. And uh, really, it was a sort of exploding gaggle of cars. And unfortunately for, for Loic, he was on the outside. And the, the car went straight across the gravel and ended up inverted against the um, tyre wall but <laughs> Lloyd was out so quickly waiting to see if he was out and I suddenly noticed when we were commentating together John he was already behind the tyre wall with hands on hips so it was an unfortunate circumstance everything's been sorted but now in the hands of Nielsen Racing a lot to learn 19th in qualifying uh, in the first part of qualifying they won't be doing hyperpole but it's about getting into the race getting the drivers set and all those questions they've been asking Alex Kapadia he's got to answer and as he said well there are too many to remember out on the track, just notice we've actually got a car just moved to the top of GTE Am, and it's listed as MR Racing. It's a Ferrari number 70 in that uh, lurid yellowy green livery. Kei Cosolino, uh, driver fastest in session, 3 minutes 54.49 seconds. Puts it uh, a third of a second faster than the one of the three Iron Lynx Ferraris, the number 60 entry, Claudio Schiavone at the wheel at the moment. Majority of their rivals in the pit lane at the moment. We've got just precisely half an hour remaining in this session. And for a few teams, they're starting to pack up. Johnny spotted a few earlier on, not looking to risk their cars. Kate Rosalino maybe not wanting to risk it at all. Goes to the top in GTE Am, and then next time around brings it into the pit lane. But, uh, Paul, you were going to mention something about Tony Wells, the man from Middlesbrough, with plenty of experience actually of this track from the Road to Le Mans events he's done over the last couple of years. But this is the first time he'll be in the 24 hours. Yeah, I'm really just going to um, uh, highlight his historic racing uh, activities. He's done a lot of historic racing in his time. Um, not 
at least to my knowledge, having come up through what you might regard as a traditional um, yeah, sort of single-seaters coming up through junior categories, but uh, has found his way in, uh, in historics. And he's one of those drivers that you sort of never quite know how good he is because in historic racing um, people can be very good um, but equally they can have some very good cars and you don't often get the chance to compare them directly but since Tony's been driving in more contemporary stuff then um, he certainly proved himself uh, to be quite rapid well, he's got it's, it's, I'm assuming that it's the same Tony Wells of course well he's got three titles to his name last year's LMP3 champion in the 2019 Asian Le Mans series British LMP3 cup champion not such a hard Mountain to climb because we're relatively thin fields in that couple of years ago. and But Radical Euromasters champion, that's a very competitive series back in 2016. Mm. So he's, he's got uh, certainly good pedigree. Yeah, and you can uh, track the, the, Niel the Nielsen be... connection back to those days, those Radical days as well. I think that's where the team and he first met. And it's brilliant to actually have a lot of Radical-based teams in club racing find their way through into... Uh, first of all, the road to Le Mans, the Michelin Le Mans, uh, Le Mans Cup, and then ultimately into ELMS, which could be your road all the way to the 24 hours of Le Mans. Paul? Uh, yeah, other drivers to be improving in this, uh, now into the last half hour of this free practice session. Uh, Alessandro Pierguidi in the AF course of Ferrari uh, was briefly up to third place with a 352.800 uh, in the Ferrari, but then Maxime Martin, um, who is now going great guns in the uh, number 97, Aston Martin, Aston Martin, Max, Maxime Martin, had to be a reason why he was uh, in that car. Three minutes, 52.463 then. So um, that put, puts that uh, faster than Nicky Team's time from earlier on. So still the Porsche time, 352.177. That's uh, Michael Christensen in the number 92 car, which uh, Lawrence Vantour is now driving, leading the way in GT Pro. But then the two Aston Martins still going well second and third in GT Pro uh, Ferraris to the fore in GTE Am there behind Cosolino Schiavone as uh, Bruce was just saying second in GTE Am uh, and then it's the Dempsey Proton Porsche number 88 third in GTE Am and just looking down my little list of drivers who still have to do their night laps pretty sure they've all been done oh okay excellent so uh, almost a full 30 minutes ahead of schedule on that. Uh, yeah, which yes, is except if you haven't been out at all, of course, which neither of the two EDEX sport cars have. But, yeah. uh, if <laughs> you're not in an EDEX car, then, uh, then all is well. Indeed. So, Gosh, where's uh, the although, drama? Where's the drama? We're so used to saying, will they all manage to get through? Well, Johnny Merlin just had a bit of drama <laughs> towards the end of his lap, which turned out to be an in-lap, but... Uh, I think a two full rotations under braking there for the Ford chicane. And thankfully, didn't uh, collect somebody else as it went through. Although an LMP2 car, I noticed, did dive off the track briefly. Almost as if that car could be heard coming. It made one heck of a tyre squeal. Now, the LMP2 was going into the pits anyway. And, yeah, over the gravel, over the grass. And Johnny Molem sensibly taking it straight into the pit lane. What it has left, though, is an awful lot of gravel right across the track at the Ford chicane. Uh, not sure whether that was a, a brake issue or maybe a tyre problem. Looks like all four of the Michelins are inflated. Certainly that's the case for the rears. And thankfully, Johnny came out of that relatively unskirmished. The car is still straight. We have seen some big accidents through the years in the braking area and at Ford chicane proper there. 
Uh, Joe Bradley watching that and other things as well, bringing us uh, almost constant VP Racing Fuels pit lane reports, which is great. What have you got this time? I'm sorry if I'm pestering you, Miss. Not at all. Um, no, no, that wasn't uh, my insinuation. <laughs> it's good to have you on board. This might just be a little rumour, but I'm wondering if you guys have heard uh, the latest on the number 17, which is the uh, the other of the EDEC cars. Uh, Dwight Merriman has been ruled out of the race, which means that the team need to find another bronze driver. Mm. Uh, have you heard anything no. to that? No. Right, well, I'm not sure how official that is, but uh, it's, uh, it's come from Shea, who's clearly not off. Um, she's still on. And uh, so I'm going to clarify where she has got that from and, uh, and see if we can uh, nail that down as more than just a rumour. I think it is more than just a rumour. I, I, don't, I don't think she would have mentioned that if it wasn't an official uh, update on that one. OK, Joe, could we just take it that that is down to, to driver <laughs> injury? Well, we'll find out, won't we? Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not chuckling at the potential of a driver's I- driver injury, as you will understand. I don't know where everyone heard what Trustwell said there in the background. John Hindoff famously is always uh, always has his helmet at a racetrack. The difficulty is that you know it's very difficult, tricky to be on site at 24 hours of Le Mans. Although there are ways of getting there in, in time for the race start. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> I heard the tire squeal. He's off. Off and running. <laughs> I want you to go. I want you to go all the way, Joe. <laughs> uh, don't uh, don't let on that you're pulling his leg at any point until you see him disappear up the road. Uh, that's his opportunity, isn't it? Now, we wish Dwight, Dwight Merriman all the very best. Don't know why, what the reason is for that. And I know that it has been his dream for many, many years to take the race start at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Sometimes, some years, it just not going to happen for whatever reason and for EDEC it's looking very much like that for the, for the time being if they can find another driver then brilliant and they were a team that weren't operating at full capacity anyway so it doesn't necessarily have to be another bronze does it in, the, in uh, that car so that gives them some scope I mean, too yeah I mean there's um there's no limitation at all as far as uh, that car is concerned you're absolutely right Johnny um, I found a bulletin um, sorry it's not a bulletin it's a decision they are different um, it's decision number 34 uh, which says that um, the facts of the case are that the car number 17 ED Export uh, cannot participate either in qualifying or in pre-practice 3 uh, the car is however uh, allowed to take part in the race, subject after repairing to being inspected uh, and found to be uh, conforming to the regulations, um, and it is allowed to start following the conditions described in Article 10.2.5, uh, i.e. to start in the pit lane um, uh, after everybody else has completed a racing lap. The drivers will be allowed to take part in the race, subject to comply with provisions 10.2.2, uh, and concerning Mr. Merriman, subject to medical advice, allowing him to race. Um, so that's the bulletin which was... Uh, I've got a time on that. Uh, no, I don't have a time on that bulletin. Um, but, um, yes, I do. It's uh, seven minutes past nine local time, so over an hour ago. So it may be that what Shay has uncovered is the result of the medical advice, which has not uh, allowed Dwight Merriman... 
to participate. Mm. Putting a little bit of speculation on the last bit, but oh. um, certainly the first bit, there's an awful lot of um, uh, running in. Yeah. Yeah, all the evidence stacks up. Um, so a reminder, Dwight Merriman on the entry list is a bronze-rated driver, Kyle Tilly silver, Jonathan Kennard silver. You only need have one silver in your LMP2 driver combination. The other choices are entirely free. So they could plug a platinum in there to join Kyle and Jonathan, and the car at the driver lineup would still be legal. So there is scope to get the second EDEX sport car in the race, assuming it's fixed and passed as a qualified car and uh, generally the paperwork would would go towards that argument meanwhile oh yes this is one of the uh, two uh, cars from edex sport uh, in states of undress sadly but these are brand new cars brand new tubs at least with they're slowly being built up and Good to see that uh, there is a fair bit of progress being made for both of those EDEX Sport cars. Very late night, I'm sure, expected for the crews. But it'd be fa fabulous to, to see uh, each of those two cars out in free practice four uh, tomorrow. We know they're not in Epopol because they didn't take part in any of the qualifying. But just to get some running, meaningful running, because otherwise you're relying on a, just a 15-minute warm-up session on Saturday morning, which really isn't long enough. There's also work going on down at Nielsen. We heard from Alex Capadia on Haggerty Radio Le Mans not too long ago, chatting to Joe in his latest VP Racing Fuels pit lane report. But remember, you can continue to get involved on Twitter using the hashtag HaggertyRLM. And Kevin Payne says, not quite the same as sitting on the banking at Porsche Curves, listening to... The Haggerty Radio Le Mans coverage over the radio with headphones, but uh, it's almost like being there with the coverage. And uh, not sure where you are in the world, Kevin, but you uh, may have lost the sunlight now. But maybe you're still out in the back garden pretending you're at Le Mans in one of the campsites. And think how sweet it'll be next year. We know that people, oh, we've yeah. already had evidence that people are booking in huge numbers for next year. Deprive someone of uh, Le Mans for one year and that only whets the appetite even more for return. Because don't forget, it's a social thing as much as a sporting thing. And if a whole group of friends is deprived their highlight of the year, do it the following year. That's what I say. Not many quick times being put in at the moment, as we've only got, well, just under, 20, under 19 minutes remaining in this four-hour session. But uh, it must be said the Toyota's uh, Rebellion's going well at the front. Three minutes, 21, but that's uh, two and a bit seconds down on its ultimate pace. And Norman Nato's in the pits, just did a three minutes, 33. Three minutes, 22 from last time around for Sebastian Buemi. So the Toyota going well, but that's only in fourth. The Toyota's second and fourth. The Rebellion's first and third. Track quite empty at the moment. I'd say we've probably got... Uh, Mm. Half the cars in the pits, half on the circuit. So no excuses with traffic right now. But uh, looking down the order to see who's been setting times recently, a better lap time for Euro International down last position in LMP2. No, not last because they're 22nd of the 22 cars out running, but the EDEX sports in cars in the garage. But Eric Maurice, who we saw have a couple of moments earlier uh, picking things up, but someone's dropped something to pick it up. Red flag. Yeah. And uh, Paul will know for sure, but this feels like the first red flag we've had in night practice. It is. Uh, no, we did have, have one earlier on. Okay. Uh, I think I yes, was eating we, dinner at the time. Uh, yes, that was. I, I was having dinner as well, but it did. Uh, it did happen, uh, and it happened at 
2025, 25 past eight. Ferrari in the fence on, and it's Bonamy Grimes in the Red River Sport, number 62 at Ferrari. I wondered whether it was the Red River livery. It's happened at one of the two chicanes on the Molsan Strait, and there is a driver walking away from the scene. I reckon that is Bonamy Grimes. So the sign, the early indication of Bond's condition is good, but I'm afraid the nose of that Ferrari is no longer there. Um, First chicane. First chicane. I did wonder that because we've had actually... I remember Pierre Caffer having a monster crash into the first chicane two or three years ago Mm. when he got tangled up with an LMP2 car. Not of his his fault. We don't yet know how Bon Grimes has ended up there, but uh, wry expressions from all those down at AF Corsa who are looking after that car. The next machine on the scene is an LMP2 prototype with the Ferrari sitting right next to the tyre stacks in the runoff road effectively. This is the chicane that goes right, left, right. The first one you encounter on the Molsan Strait and as we were talking about earlier on today, entry speed, fastest of the whole of the track. Tire marks went off to the left of the circuit. Car hit the barriers on the left and scattered gravel everywhere. There's debris into the chicane as well as gravel and uh, Marshall's very quickly out to uh, start recovering well, basically, to keep the track clear, the car's going to need a, a flatbed and more to get it away from where it is. So for Bon Grimes there, this incredible story, the, his own road to Le Mans, led by uh, Johnny Molan, who started driver coaching him three years ago. Let's hope this can be fixed, because this is a massive ambition for a driver who's really grabbed this racing opportunity with both hands. It'd be so sad if the car isn't fixable, but I'm sure it will be sorted. But right now, this session, in its dying minutes, 15 minutes remaining, the red flag has flown while the 62 Red River Sport car is being collected. And for many teams now, they might go, there's not going to be much uh, green flag running once this is cleared off, cleared up. So maybe we can now start considering putting the cars into the garages. And at this moment, it's Rebellion number three at the top of the charts in LMP2. It's the Duquesne team with a time set, ooh, eons ago, to be a fifth fastest overall. GTE Pro... Porsche GT number 92s look very strong. Lawrence Van Tour, the driver at the wheel, but uh, the, the man who's at the time, Michael Christensen in that. And in GTE Am, K. Cosolino, top of the charts, uh, for MR Racing, the car with the Car Guy Racing livery. Bright, bright yellowy green. That's fastest of all. But suddenly cars coming into the pits, the red flag flying around the Circuit de la Sarthe. Midnight approaching in just a quarter of an hour, but a uh, slight hiatus in the dying minutes. Yeah. I'm just thinking back to Johnny Molum's moment into the Ford chicane when the, the car swapped ends. And have they been trying to chase some setup that uh, has been tricky to locate? We shouldn't speculate after such a, a violent looking accident. And we need to make sure that Bon is fine and well, too, because, uh, yes, he's walked away under his own steam to the marshals and a medical car will be on its way to him now. But we should make sure that he is absolutely a OK and then think about how that car ended up there. Really, probably a chat with Bonamy Grimes is the only answer. But it's just interesting that it came off the back of that spin for Johnny Molin, what, just 10 minutes before. Yeah, well, one thing that's come across loud and clear, racing in September means this track does not have as much heat in it as uh, it has traditionally in June. Track temperature down to 22 degrees, air temperature below that now, 20 degrees. And I don't think Bon had been, as Johnny pointed out, very long in that car. It might have been tyres just simply not up to the requisite temperature but again we won't take a guess but uh, if you've never 
heard of Bonnaby Grimes before. It's an incredible story. He uh, was an amateur racing driver who started just four years ago after a track with a track day experience with Red River Sport, the company run by Johnny Molam. And Johnny's taken him by the hand ever since and brought him up through the categories. And to compete at Le Mans means every box has been ticked along the way. Quite a story, and uh, I think it will give a lot of hope to a lot of people who go... I've blown out 40 candles on my birthday cake, but uh, there's still life in me yet. Let's see what we can do. And Bon Grimes, Welshman, you know, done a really solid, solid job over the intervening years to get to where he is today. The session will not be resumed, we're hearing from Race Control. There were 15 minutes left on the clock of a four-hour night practice session, free practice three, as it was called on the schedule after two three-hour sessions earlier on today, but we're not going to get any more running. I think the clear-off operation at the first chicane is going to take a good probably 15 minutes, actually, and by that point we would have run out of time. So confirmation to all the teams up and down this lengthy pit lane that that will be it for the first day of running at the 88th edition of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. You heard it all here live on Haggerty Radio Le Mans on RS1. And uh, it just then remains for us to run down the times. I know also a note that uh, one or two people uh, tweeting with the hashtag HaggertyRLM, including Safe Phil, at Safe Phil, uh, asking for a reminder of how qualifying went. Not just the top six, but actually those that have their places cemented on the grid already for Saturday, which, as we were running short of time or uh, running out of time towards the end of qualifying, didn't manage to whip through a great deal of those. So let's do the times, first of all, from that particular session. It will be Rebellion at the top, as they were for so long. Roman Dumas, the number three R13, with the Gibson engine, the 4.5-litre V8, 319.158, means it does top one session today after Toyota were dominant in the others and, indeed, for provisional qualifying. Uh, second fastest, though, the seven Toyota TSA 50, uh, most recently driven by Mike Conway. In fact, he's still working his way back to the pit lane. That car did a 319.638, so the gap 0.480 of a second between Rebellion's fastest car and Toyota's. Third quickest was the second of the Rebellion's, number one of Norman Natto, a 319.7, and Sebastian Buemi, fourth quickest in the number eight Toyota. LMP2, here are the numbers. Fastest was number 30, Duquesne team. Second, 32, United Autosports. These are all Orica 07s, and even the Auris is an Orica. G-Drive Racing's number 26 third quickest ahead of the sister United Autosports car Paul De Resta last to be at the wheel of that number 22 that was fourth fifth place 29 racing team Nederland in for Hyperpol tomorrow Guida van der Garde and Mathieu Vaxivier who Rob Lomas has reminded me was the other car involved in that Pierre Kaffer accident in 2017 into the first chicane Vaxivier and the TDS P2 and Pierre Kaffer in his Ferrari which put the 488 out of the race instantly car 31 then sixth in LMP2. Seventh place, uh, the 37 Jackie Chan DC Racing entry. Cool Racing, the Swiss outfit, number 42. Eighth quickest ahead of Cinetech Alpine Elf, number 36. And the G-Drive Racing by Algarve, uh, number 16 car, the very late entry to the 59 uh, car lineup for this year's race. In GTE Pro, 92 Porsche 911 RSR 19 quickest. Laurent Vantour still making his way back to the pits. His time, 352.177. Uh, by the way, the LMP2 fastest time, I don't think I gave you that, but for Duquesne, it was a 328.0. So that is uh, nine seconds slower than the Rebellion time. 
The Pro Time, 352.177 from 92 Porsche. Second fastest, number 97, Aston Martin. Alex Lynn last to drive that with a 152.4. And the sister Aston, number 95, Nikki Team, 152.6. Sorry, 352.6. Uh, the 51 Ferrari of A, of course, uh, did a 352.8 and was fourth fastest. The Porsche, number 91, Ricard Leitz, last to drive that, 353.0. And sixth place in GT Pro was Risi Competizioni's Ferrari with a 353.3, followed by the 71 Ferrari of A, of course, and the 63 WeatherTech Ferrari for the US squad. And in GTE Am, it's MR Racing who topped the times. Kay Cozzolino was the last at the wheel of the AF course of prepared MR Racing car. Very much Japanese flag, though. 354.4. They are regular WEC entrants. Car 70. Second fastest, the 98 Aston Martin of Augusto Farfas Latterly. Uh, 354.5 the 60 Iron Lynx Ferrari 488 did a 354.8 fourth fastest 88 Dempsey uh, Proton Racing Porsche fifth quickest in GTE and the 75 Iron Lynx Ferrari and sixth quickest another Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche this time 77 uh, which was driven most recently by Ricardo Perra and for those that want to note down the cars that won't be in hyperpole but will have a decent starting position, well, you can discount LMP1 because they're all in. And the order by the flag in standard qualifying, which was a 45-minute session earlier on, was the 7 Toyota, the 8 Toyota, the 1 Rebellion, the 4 by Collis, and the number 3 Rebellion. Just outside of the top six in LMP2, which contained 29 Racing Team Nederland, 37 Jackie Chan, 22 United and 32 United, the 26 G-Drive and the 33 High Class Racing. The first team to miss out were Jota in their number 38 car. So that's the uh, Anthony Davidson, Antonio Felix da Costa and Roberto Gonzalez machine. Seventh for them, and that's confirmed. Eighth place on the grid will be the 16 G-Drive Racing by Algarve Car of Ryan Cullen, Ollie Jarvis, Nick Tandy. Ninth place for Panis Racing, number 31, Jama, Canal and Vaxavier. And tenth place, despite improving all the time with Tom Allerat, Senior Tech Alpine, oh, I thought well, they were kind of shoo-it for the top six, only good enough for tenth in car number 36. Neither of the EDEX Sport entries, 17 and 28, were able to take part in qualifying. In GTE Pro, oh, let's hear from Porsche, actually, Team Radio. I reckon that was Ricard Leitz. He was last in the 91 yeah. and reporting to the team that the balance of the car is good, but the locking, I think he said, mm. um, not so much a fan of. Uh, Laurent Vantor last to be in the 92, by the way. And what I'm doing is just taking you through uh, the six that are into Ipapol for GTE Pro next. The two Astons are in, 95 and 97. The two Ferraris from AF Corsa are in, 51 and 71. 
and the two Porsches, 91 and 92, definitely in. So those to lose out are effectively the privateers in GTE Pro, neither the 63 WeatherTech Racing Ferrari nor the Risi Competizione Ferrari uh, got into Ipapol for tomorrow. And in GTE Am, 98 Aston Martin in. Likewise, the 90 TF Sport Aston Martin. I tell you, the vantages, we haven't got many of them, four in total, uh, but they look incredibly strong. I wonder where all that pace is being found and... I uh, need to interrogate the sector times overnight to find out whether that's all being done on the straights or something slightly more complex. Uh, 86 Gulf Racing Porsche is in. That's the Mike Wainwright, Ben Barker and Andrew Watson car. 61 Lucic Racing. Their Ferrari is in. The 77 Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche into Hyperpole. And the Team Project 156 car is in. First car to lose out is the 83 Ferrari. And that is the crew that... Oh, that's the wrong sheet. The 83 lead the championship in the WEC. That I think they, I'm right. In I think you're saying. right too with Francois Peredo, Nicholas Nielsen yes. and that inexperienced driver, Manu Collard. <laughs> you might have heard of him before. Indeed, he's done quite a few of these races in the past. They will start seventh and that is cemented now. Uh, the eighth placed car will be the 99 Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche in GTE Am to start ahead of. On the fifth row, 57 Team Project 1, the sister car at Team Project 1 in the wins livery. The car of Ben Keating, Felipe Fraga and Jerome Blakemolen. And 10th place for 54 A, of course, of Ferrari, Thomas Fleur, Francesco Castellacci and Giancarlo Fisichella. And then the 88 Dempsey Proton Racing Porsche and the 70 MR Racing Ferrari, the car that topped this session. So that's a nice way uh, to end things regarding the grid. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll get to, of course, the grid once it's all firmed up. Um... By, by midday tomorrow, because it's only a half an hour session, and we will know, well, maybe just a little bit after midday, actually, we will know the order of the top six in each of the classes, top five in LMP1. Well, I can't wait. I think Hyperpole is going to be phenomenal tomorrow, really, really quick. Far little thought put to us by Nick Holland, a constant Twitter friend of us, is, right, Edex Sport, this question over Dwight Merriman, is he going to be allowed to start tomorrow or not? We had concerns over possible... You know, because he had a big shunt in the 17-year export car. Some, Nick Holland just pointed out there's a whole field of drivers uh, who will be competing in Road to Le Mans. Some of those might want to step up. So the queue will be formed already outside Edex Sport. But uh, you could ask, what are the names of the two drivers in Edex Sport for uh, Road to Le Mans? Patrice Lafargue, Father Lafargue, mm. and Stefan Adler. They'd have to be at the front of the queue. But uh, with... 34 runners in the prototype class of Road to Le Mans, the P3 class. A lot of those would be going, suddenly my ambition lies in front of me. Answers on a postcard. Well, yeah, and uh, I'm sure a lot of conversations will start tonight, potentially, about that. Because, uh, yeah, these drives more and more sought after as the grid gets larger, more consistently larger. We're up to, fingers crossed, 59 cars for the 88th running of the 24 hours of Le Mans, assuming those two EDEX Sport cars can take the race start on Saturday. So dramatic night practice, following up really on a uh, very uh, frenetic qualifying session to set the bulk of the grid, but much more qualifying to come tomorrow here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. We'll have it all live, of course, and if you're not aware, you can go to radiolemon.co.uk, scroll to the bottom of that homepage, 
and all the details of our upcoming schedule are there as far as live shows are concerned. Overnight, it'll give us an opportunity, I'm sure, to revisit some of the sessions that we covered for you live today. But uh, as far as our next live session is concerned, we'll be on air 9.45 Central European time tomorrow, 8.45 in the UK, of course, being an hour back for a 15-minute build-up ahead of Free Practice 4, which is due to start on the hour. So... That's at 10 o'clock local time through till 11. And then they'll have just half an hour uh, to get the cars prepped in readiness for Hyperpole because that's an 11.30 start local time through till 12 o'clock. And then we'll, we'll be looking ahead at the end of that to the first race of the weekend, which will be at Road to Le Mans Part 1, a 55-minute race, but with a pit stop for the, uh, the sort of main support act, the Road to Le Mans, and that forms part of their championship with half championship points on offer for Friday's race and for Saturday's race. My thanks to all who have been involved right here on RS1, Haggerty Radio Le Mans, over the last four hours. Too many names to go through, but you all know who you are. Uh, and particularly thanks to Joe Bradley for his hard work bringing you all the latest VP Racing Fuels pit lane report. Good to have some drivers on air with different stories to tell. Thanks to... Uh, Paul Trustwell to Bruce Jones and to Tim Gray, who's been making sure that we stay on air. And we will close with weather. Uh, yes, let's get the weather with travel destinations. Radio Le Mans weather. So a clear night expected with lows of 17, 18 degrees Celsius, but not much cloud. So could be... Uh, an interesting morning with a little bit of dew here and there and a green track, I'd expect, but it's going to be a warm day tomorrow, again, with temperatures in the mid-20s. So uh, a decent uh, chunk of testing available to those around the racetrack. That's the weather on Haggerty Radio Le Mans with travel destinations. Book for Le Mans and the classic 2021 event on www.lemansrace.com. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.